if people can hear that we're broadcasting from uh, the north shore animal league <laughs> where we're doing a fundraiser for uh, dogs we'd like to murder <laughs> yeah matt is it okay for me to start drinking as soon as the kids are at school or does that make me a bad teacher <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna start with hmm. dad jokes yeah your mama's so ugly she went into a haunted house and came out with a job application <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the mama joke. Uh, I, I saw a help wanted ad the other day. Mm-hmm. It was a job wanted, a ejection seat tester required, small amount of traveling <laughs> required. <laughs> okay. Oh, what a start to the day. Uh, I'm done. We're we going to get we some can, uh, we can, we angry can emails. We can proceed. I know. That's cultural appropriation of dads who tell awful <laughs> jokes. But I guess that's us. I think we need to make a more formal joke d- segment dad joke segment i agree on the show i agree i was going through some of these old do you remember deep thoughts by jack hand yes yes so i was re- reading those to, for some reason i get into these like modes and, and i just i've been doing jack handy deep thoughts with my kids and they are so funny it's like one will be funny and then five will make absolutely no sense right. and then one just boom <laughs> just boom and so that that is the morning, and it's a rainy, it's sort of sunny and rainy, but no rainbows this morning. You know, the dog can keep barking longer than we can keep talking. That's true. I've seen it. They, uh, they're happy to see me. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't understand. My neighbor has this barky dog, but it's gigantic. Mm. And so when we go outside just to relax, right. uh, it's Cujo. The thing is, sounds like it has a bloodlust. Hmm. Like, it, it definitely would tear us apart if it could get through that fence. <laughs> and nice. I don't understand why they have this dog. Well, once you get them, it's kind of hard to get rid of them. What do you do? got three children already. But and it, then it probably you, likes the kids. I, I can't tell. The thing is just screaming all the time. This dog doesn't like the kids much. <laughs> it likes me and Aaron. Well, like, these dogs, it does. I don't get that same fear. Like, <laughs> no, if they got size out. Size of a football. Yeah, they would nip me. And But the dog next door, you know, it would tear my throat out. If it's still doing this in two minutes, I'm putting it outside in the rain. It, huh? Her. That's how you her, feel sorry, about it. Sorry. Um, are a, we back? Are we back yet? Or yeah, we we're back. Do your thing. Um, and we're back. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages. The podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat X. And I'm Mike R. And boy, do we have a show for you. Today on RMA, it's raining, it's pouring, the monsters are snoring, <laughs> Nat and Mike in the morning. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Wow. That didn't rhyme, right off did the, it? Well, we've got a great show for close you Close enough. Folks, it is a great show, and um, we've got some interesting articles from the news uh, out there. There's been some pretty controversial stories that have been uh, posted on the show uh, page, 
And um, yeah, we're going to talk about a couple of them, and that's going to be amazing. Yeah, just when I thought there was nothing more that would interest me about recovery, <laughs> and, and I had heard it all, there's a, there's a new one. There's always wrinkles in the fabric of yeah. space time. Um, the show is brought to you by. Oh shit! Yeah, Soberlink. go talk about the Patreon first. This show is brought to you by Recovery in the Middle Ages, Patreon. What is it? It's a members-only subscription service featuring a Discord, private message, chat, and video meeting platform for all patrons. It's like having a recovery support family right at your fingertips. Boy, that sounds really, like, genuine. And, <laughs> but for real, guys, patreon.com slash recovery in the Middle Ages. Um, we're having a great time on there. We have a bunch of video episodes we posted. Um, that's where, like, the real discussion stuff for, like, it's, we're always on there. It's a great group. Um, join us. Join us, join us. You know what else they, sh- they should do? What? Um, our good listeners should, if they haven't already, subscribe and like the podcast. Yes. As much as um, reviews are helpful, sub- subscriptions are even more helpful. So po- if you're on Podbean, go subscribe to us on Podbean. I, I notice a lot of people are doing that, but more yeah. of you should do it. Uh, wherever you are, please, please subscribe. Yeah. Apple Podcast app, that's where you review the show. And then when you do, we'll read it. I, uh, I just typed in, I was searching for the, for the Soberlink script, mm. and somehow I typed in Sober Kink. Ah, which I think is a, uh, might be a new I'm into a, sober a, new, guys. a new project we should put together. Sober kink. <laughs> maybe a maybe a new website. <laughs> sober kink. I love guys who have gone to rehab and are struggling to stay sober. That's what I'm into. Do you go to meetings every day? Oh, yeah, that's, that's so hot. Are you going to judge me every time I look at a beer? Oh, yeah. Give it to me, baby. <laughs> Ah, shit. When you know better, you do better. Yep. And sometimes doing better depends on what tools are available to you. As two men in recovery from alcohol use disorder, we know, we know how difficult it can be to seek help for a disease that's so stigmatized. Mm -hmm. If you're struggling to get sober, Soberlink can help. Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring system was specifically designed to help in your recovery. Specifically designed that for you really? and me. Wow, dude. And everybody else. It's creepy. Um, it's not just some breathalyzer you buy at the store. Mm. Um, small enough to fit in your pocket and discreet enough to use in public or in front of your kids. Soberlink devices combine facial recognition, tamper detection, and real-time results so friends and family know instantly that you're uh, drunk. No, that you're sober and working towards your recovery goals. The system would have been a game changer for Nat and I early during early recovery when every bit of accountability helps. Yeah, I can't really think of a better tool for tracking and sharing progress and rebuilding trust in relationships. I, I really can't. Make 2023 a memorable one, meaning you will remember it if you're not drunk. Who will remember Visit it? slash middle hyphen ages to sign up and receive $50 off your device. And Mike will middle hyphen your ages. I uh, don't do that kind of thing anymore. Did, um, Soberlink. I haven't heard from Soberlink in a while. Maybe (laughs) we were supposed to send them an invoice. And of course our accounting department fucked up on that. They're fired. Um, and they have not sent an email or anything. Well, they're not listening. They don't care. But I mean, they get, if somebody goes on their little website and fills out a form, yeah, they usually tell me. They're yeah. usually like, oh, we had X number of people fill out the form this week. So everybody go fill out the form. Um, <laughs> but for reals, yo, this would have been 
really helpful for me when I was like, you know, when you get past that, let's say first six months of sobriety and my wife still didn't trust me and people were still looking at me sideways. And I know all of you out there that have been through this where you're doing everything you're supposed to, but still, yeah, they just don't trust you and you've given them Every reason not to trust you. So that's why I think Soberlink would have been cool. Then I could really prove it. It like, builds look. trust. It builds accountability. No. It'll get you on the path towards a better tomorrow. <laughs> or yeah. something. It's a good process, too. Like uh, Grant was saying when he was, well, I think when he used Soberlink, it's just, it also, it's something that keeps you accountable when you're by yourself and, you know. By yourself. Boom. That's right. Oh, Speaking of being by yourself, Nat, how many narcissists yeah, does it take yeah. to screw in a light bulb? I don't know. One, they hold the light bulb and the world revolves around them. <laughs> Are we changing? Are we changing? Are we, have we become more cynical and less loving and compassionate in our hearts? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think that's what's happening. We don't mean it, anyone. We, we make these dumb jokes and it's all for fun. Okay. I got a, uh, an email. Um, got a couple emails this week. One I'm not going to talk about. Because I, could, I was trying to put this segment together with my wife's help, and it didn't end up uh, coming to be. So maybe mm. next week. But uh, I got an email from EH, uh, Running Addiction is the title. Uh, Hi, Mike. Love your podcast. As a marathon slash ultra runner in recovery, I couldn't help but react to your recent podcast comments on running addiction. For example, Rich Roll. Well, I can't disagree. I run more than the average person. It has not only helped me in recovery, but my doctor has confirmed the impact on my overall health. I would say that as long as it doesn't negatively impact your life slash relationships, then no harm, no foul. Additionally, I know people in AA who go to five, six, seven meetings a week, taking time away from their family and life. Couldn't that be construed as another form of excessive behavior? Yes. All the best. Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely, 100%. I mean, that's a transfer addiction, if you ask me. <laughs> but, but, you know, much like a running addiction, I don't know. Is it better than being in an alley? Of course. You know. Of course it is. I used to joke uh, when I was... In AA, and it was like all the time, I'd say, we should go to AAA, AAA. Nobody laughed. What does that even funny. mean? You like, want to go to more meetings? You want to go to Alcoholics Anonymous Anonymous. Oh, oh, so meetings for people who go to too many meetings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, again, nobody laughed. Um, I, I responded to Fred. I said, thanks for reaching out. I hope I didn't portray the ultra running in a negative light. It wasn't my intention. I have the utmost respect for the ultra running community. Uh, wow. Between running and addiction, I would pick running every time. That was gratuitous. You're, what do you mean? And you're, you're like, you didn't want to offend him. I think we're getting soft. No, we've been offending people all over the place. I know, recently. but I don't feel like we ever apologized this much in my life. <laughs> jokes. We're not trying to offend the ultra runners. That is for sure. But we're making I, the That's point. what I just said. I said, I, I also said, and now I'm just my ego talking. I average about 40 miles a week myself and credit running is a big part of my recovery. I wish I had the time to train for an ultra event. Uh, I was just pointing out that transfer addiction is a real thing and can manifest as excessive exercise. Only the individual can determine whether that is a positive or a negative for themselves. Uh, mm -hmm. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Thanks for writing in. <clears throat> Send in your emails to mikeartmiddleagesrecovery.com. Tell us your story. Maybe it's time for your email address to I, be the one because I, 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 got a, I got that very, I, which I'm not talking, I'm just going to tease it until I'm going to be forced to talk about it next week. No. That other email, which upset me for a few days until, yeah. I, until I got some clarity on, on where the problem was. Mm. 
Was it my fault? No. Okay, good. No, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. So we're not, since we're not going to go there, I'm just teasing the audience with something that's going to make them angry. Yes. <laughs> uh, but I want to talk about something. Okay. I want to talk about this weekend. Yes. I want to talk about stress because we talked a lot about stress last week, right? Yes. And it was like foreshadowing. It was so weird because mm. as soon as we finished that show, uh, my life just fucking exploded. Sounds like, yeah, right? where mine was It was at, just yeah. so crazy. Like, uh, you know, um, we had somebody at work leave, right? And unexpectedly. And I always look like a lunatic in these photos. <laughs> you have to give me a little... One, two... Advance uh, notice before you take them. That's okay. good radio right there. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so she left. So all of her cases got reassigned and most of the, like a lot of them <laughs> reassigned to me. Ugh. So I was anticipating the next few months in a certain way. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I, I was you kind of, a, case I was kind of attached to the idea, like work is, goes in this box and I know what I have to do there. And then family obligations in this box and then other things in the other boxes. And this just ripped the fucking box open and shit all over my desk, basically. Yeah. And so now I may have to go back to California like three more times. Oh, <laughs> So, I mean, what's wrong with California? Uh, just it takes you away from the show. It's just the flight. Yeah, and the flows. I yeah. mean, for you. you gotta I mean, we're going to... We can figure out how to do it when I'm on the road. Mm. I mean, somehow. But... Um, it's just messing me up because we had a vacation plan this summer and I got all this other stuff going on. My sister-in-law oh, yeah. is getting married and, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's what... It's just, it's just so, so... So that went off crazy. So how is this playing out inside of my head? Well, um, over the weekend, I had a couple of encounters with wine that caused me to kind of scratch my head and go, huh, that's an interesting way of relating to alcohol. Um, my wife had poured herself a glass of wine on Friday or Saturday. Maybe it was Saturday. And usually I like just ignore it. And, but this time I picked it up and I put it right into my nose and I took a big sniff and I was hoping nice bouquet. I, well, I was hoping that, you know, people say, Oh, I've been away for wine for a couple of years. And then when I smell it or, you know, anything, it really smells gross to me mm. and it really didn't it smelled really fucking good to the point where i'm like on my third sniff and aaron's like you should call nat <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like i'm not gonna drink it i just want to stand <laughs> here holding the it. glass inhaling it i just want to you know? drool on it a little bit and then more. i'm like well what am i trying to do am i trying to snort alcohol is that <laughs> what i'm trying to do here so i put it down but then the next day I got it in my head that I had to make beef bourguignon, which is beef simmered in burgundy wine. Ah. Now, why the fuck do, do I want to make beef bourguignon? I don't, know. I don't even <laughs> like beef bourguignon. <laughs> do you make the, you know, margaritas too for dessert or like you <laughs> stay away from this? <laughs> Sounds good. Though. So I have a, so I have this bottle of Pinot Noir that's been, I got for Christmas a couple of years ago. It's been sitting up there aging to perfection. So I pull the thing down, open that up and I got my nose right in that. And I'm like. I'm like, wow, fuck, that smells good, you know? And then I pour it in the, I pour it in the buff <laughs> and, uh, and simmer. And of course all the alcohol cooks off, but I didn't even make it for me. I don't eat that. I mean, I was, I was making it for the kids because I know the alcohol cooks off and my son has taken an interest in meat lately. So I, mm. but, um, but yeah, a couple of, um, mm. is that a relapse that I'm snorting wine? <laughs> 
wine fumes? No, but it. It's and why of, am I doing it now? Just because I'm fucking stressed out? I haven't even thought about wine. Yeah, you know? it's weird. It's a weird thing, and it's and some people might say, well, this is why once you get sober, many people just don't have wine in the house or don't have alcohol in the house. Now, this is difficult when you're living with a family and you're not trying to change the way they live necessarily. Yeah, and then. Um, and you're sort of stuck living with it. And we've been talking about that. You know, my wife, too, she'll have a, a glass of wine or we'll have people over the house like we did this weekend. And, you know, there's beer being uh, consumed. Yeah. So we wonder, like, what's the wisdom to doing that? And we always said, well, you're not going to hide from real life forever. You have to learn to live in the real world in these situations, which are reasonable. Like you're cooking for your family yes. or... You know, your wife is drinking a glass of wine. These are reasonable scenarios to be in. Mm -hmm. And um, and part of why we do this every week and why we're constantly talking about it and mulling it over is so that built-in forgetter that they talk about in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book mm -hmm. uh, where uh, alcoholics tend to have this superpower to be able to forget the worst things that ever happened oh, to yeah. them within a week yeah, or yeah. two. Yeah. Now, it's obviously not been a week or two, but... Part of why we're doing this is to, to keep that from not, like, going away from us, right? Right. So right. had we not been doing this all this time, had you just gone back to your life and, you know, did your best not to drink, and this scenario came up, you may it may have been much easier for you to just be like, what's, what's the difference? I'm going to take a sip. Yes. Because you've forgotten. Yes. Um, and so I would say that that was a great example of you're a human being, um, yes. sometimes you know, yeah. you're a human being and um, I would have to give you a clap for that but you, di you definitely didn't call me <laughs> I didn't call you because I there was there was no danger of me actually putting the thing to my mouth and yeah. drinking it I've done that before too and I'm like I should have called Mark <laughs> <laughs> but I'm but I'm like this is this is the danger of stress of letting stress get yeah. get the better of you as you you can find yourself in these situations with very little thought going on, very little conscious thought. Um, so it's instinctual, you know, because it's ingrained. You're stressed, you grab a drink. Right. Even could, though we've debunked that. And we debunked it. We've severed the, the, the cognitive connection. You know, I guess it's like a ghost that's still kind of... Well, the olfactory the senses. Very strong, right? Yes. Because it brings up memories, right? So why right. doesn't it bring up the memories of me having hangovers and throwing up, why does it bring up the memories of me being relaxed? Because you're not smelling the, the vomit or the bile and you're not <laughs> smelling the jail cell. You're not smelling the clothes that haven't been washed in days and days. So um, you're only smelling what was the good part, maybe. Yes. When you first drink that, you're calling back memories of sitting in fancy restaurants and sniffing the bouquet and deciding whether or not to send back the wine, you know. But it's blocking out the bad stuff. A Pinot Noir from the Oregon coast and a, and a lovely um, uh, Sancerre from France. Sounds horrible. <laughs> Sounds like something that would just ruin your life, wreck your podcast. It would. And give you a hangover it and make would. you feel guilty. It would. If it wasn't for this podcast, I have to wonder. Mm. I really have to wonder. If I didn't have this, if I didn't have, because I don't have anything else really. You know, you just have your health, though. I mean, yeah, like, thank I mean, God. I, and that's the whole point, right? Like, I don't want to have to look at externalities, right, to to support my recovery, right? It you have should, to. It's an improvement to your life in every way. It is. You just need to keep that up 
up in the front of your brain. Yeah, it's you easy know. to get hypnotized by like the the alcohol industrial complex. Yeah, it's the alcohol <laughs> illusion. Yeah, it's the name of our, our book that we're writing. Alcohol. Okay, we could <laughs> call it whatever you want. Because <laughs> uh, it wasn't just the fucking. It wasn't just the the work thing. It was like my son. Like I got him a internship at my company for the summer. My son was in college. Oh, cool. No, it's very. It's very not cool. It's very oh, yeah. stressful because he like he's never really worked in an office before, and you know he's. Not like he's sort of a prickly pear when it comes to like he has a hard time like connecting with people and getting along with people, mm. and I'm a little concerned about how this is all going to play out. And of course, how it plays out is all reflective upon mm. me and my professional reputation. This is your creation here, but I, right. you know, I trust that he's going to do the right thing because you know, I mean, he's he won't certainly wouldn't deliberately try to sabotage my career. I think we're yes. maybe when he was 14, but not now. He's not Ben Solo. He's not going to turn into Kylo Ren and. <laughs> Kill you <laughs> with a lightsaber at a pivotal well, moment in the, in a movie or anything. Let's hope not. But you know, I was so I'm dealing with that, and then my sister, who is kind of like not really all together, has called me and asked me to co-sign the lease for her apartment, and I'm having real problems with that. Mm. And because my my better judgment from a financial perspective is bumping up against my human morality mm. and I'm not sure who will win <laughs> at this point. So I got all that going on. Good and and I know you're like, you're like, uh, you like me, you like snort stress. Yeah. But I, I'm kind of like, I don't, I but don't, I, I really, it I really like gets it. me, uh, you know, in a place. I don't like it, but I feel like it's the only thing. I don't know. I, I have a strange relationship with stress and chaos. Some people use that as fuel, you know. Yeah. I, to me, it's just it's this thing outside of myself so, that I don't want in my life. You know. I don't want to be so that. I've been meditating. I've been running. I've been lifting, and but I do that anyway. So it's like I don't know. Mm. So I'm just trying to like roll roll with it. I guess. Roll with you know. it. And the more scenarios, like we said about, we've said this many times, the more things like this you get through, the stronger that muscle gets. That's true. Because the fact that I haven't picked up after the year that I've had with this company and just mm. the chaos and um, some days, you know, so now when I have a crazy day, like you said, I was texting you, my life's falling apart. You know, everything <laughs> was, and it was, I mean, that was... I can't believe I got through that day without just like exploding. Which day? It was the Monday. Uh, last week? Yeah, I think it yeah. was last Monday when everything went wrong. My, I didn't even tell you guys the whole story, but like my wife's car, like I got a flat tire late and I had a big day the next day. I had to drive to a couple of my offices. And then so she had to take my car and I had, it was a nut, like, and that was just the start of my Monday. Hmm. So like I think back and I said, man, I didn't drink or use during that scenario, I'm not going to do it, you know, when I'm just like feeling tempted. I, that's what I tell myself. Right. You know, so you keep getting through those. And um, and then you look back and say, I got through it. Like, here we are. Here we are. I didn't have to drink and, you know, it's a new day. I have new stresses. Of course. Every day is a new opportunity. It has just been crazy. But yeah. I think what, what our listeners really want to know mm. after our discussion last week. Yes. So I went onto the Discord and started uh-huh. <laughs> I started a new discussion thread called What Should Nat Eat? What should <laughs> <laughs> And we've gotten some interesting uh comments going on in there, but ha- I guess 
my question to you is twofold. One, have you been eating? And two, what have you been eating? So, Let's start with breakfast. So if you didn't listen last week, um, we talked about, I had a, uh, an episode. Yes. Down that road's an episode, an episode, an episode. You don't know that. I don't know that. That's from the Fantastics. Uh, um, so I had an episode uh, and I fainted and had like a seizure and was went to the hospital. I uh, was on a vacation with my family. It was horrifying and unexpected. The vacation or the... the, the the whole thing. <laughs> okay. And so after speaking to the doctors and all of that, it turns out I'm fine. Uh, the only thing that isn't fine is I'm not eating enough and I'm not eating properly. And my stress, and they said it had to do with sugar and all of this stuff because mm. I'm just not eating. Uh, and so ever since then, uh, the doctor prescribed to me, you know, he's like, you got to have this and you got to have that. So the monksters have been advising me on my diet, and I'm trying to just, you know, say, here's what I'm eating here, and um, I think I'm doing pretty good. I'm feeling a lot better. Okay. Um, if you're on the uh, Patreon, you can see pictures of my various and sundry uh, protein shakes that I'm, uh, I'm getting in the morning, which I forgot to drink this morning, uh, but I feel pretty good. Calling it Ensure Plus a protein shake is perhaps <laughs> giving it too much... Overstating the case a bit, I would think, but uh, and drinking water. So I'm trying to drink at least 32 ounces of water a day. I'm trying to make sure I get to lunch each day, even if it's you know anything. I'm just trying to do something for lunch, something solid. Well, someone recommended that you eat an entire avocado a day. <laughs> yes, an avocado. Yes. <laughs> so should have you eaten any avocados? Uh, I haven't had an avocado recently, but um, <laughs> my wife makes a great guacamole out of. Uh, from scratch. Yes, yes. It's, yes, it's the only way to good. make it uh, if you have extra time. Yes. But, uh, so you've been eating uh, you've been eating some of this, this Greek soup, I see. Yes, well, I had a nice avocado lemono soup. And it's hard <laughs> because some of the fasting that I've been doing over the past year, uh, it actually, part of the point of it is to shrink your stomach. <laughs> that is the point of not eating. The actual stomach, not <laughs> oh, just the stomach. So you're not as hungry, right? Because you you're used to less food. So when it's time to start like eating more, it's a little difficult because I've almost got to stretch the stomach. You got to stretch it. Yes. Uh, So I'm sort of practicing eating more, um, gaining a little weight and feeling a little better. Frozen yogurt. Yogurt? Do that. Go Mm. to 16 Handles Mm. in Jericho and Mm. get yourself some frozen yogurt. Froger. Yep. Mm. High in calories, but it'll it'll support your gut flora. The gut flora is what I'm for. Right. There's a, there's a big link between gut flora and uh, addiction, you know, that I needs did not to be know explored. That. I think we need to do a series I on think, it. I think we just found a topic. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so thanks to the Monksters for, uh, you know, all the support. I've gotten a lot of nice messages out there because, as you know... Well, people want you to stay alive, Nat. And uh, Dave announced it on Dopey, mm. kind of against <laughs> my... Isn't that against HIPAA regulations? You know, I didn't know he was going to do that. I was a little shocked, but I decided this is a good opportunity because I really wasn't going to talk about it. I didn't want to make this a thing. There's no such uh, thing as as bad content. But now that 25,000 people or so heard it on Topi, I think it would only be fair that I should... They should also know that on uh, April 27th, you ate a big ate a big poke bowl with raw scallops, tuna, and salmon over white rice with seaweed salad for yes. lunch. Congratulations. Man, I love that. <laughs> I wish I could eat that three meals a day. Um, and so that, that has been nice to have all your support. And thank you for the kind messages and things. 
Um, you know what happened? What? Um, mm. uh, we lost somebody today. Who? Uh, let's see. Oh, no. Yeah, died. Gordon Lightfoot. Wow. Wrecking the Edmund Fitzgerald, Carefree Highway. That's sad. Uh, several other songs. He passed away last night. Oh, man. I only bring it up because I saw Gordon Lightfoot in 2017 uh, at uh, the theater in Westbury. Yeah. And <laughs> he was like 80 then, and uh, or 79. And when I posted a picture of of him and and the big response I got from a lot of people was uh, on Facebook Who's, was Bob Ross. No, they were like, "We is that guy still alive?" Yeah, <laughs> and now apparently he is not. He is so, no uh, longer still alive. I, you know, I, I my heart goes out to his family and to all the Canadians who were uh, mourning his passing. Uh, good guy. Way, you know. way to bring the show down. I think I want to bring it up and talk about some soberversaries we've had in the uh, inner sanctum. Okay, let's do that. And uh, Beside my weird Gordon Lightfoot <laughs> tribute. <I've, laughs> Sorry. So uh, our, uh, our condolences to the Lightfoot family. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so soberversaries, this is one of those things occasionally, and I, I love to see this when people on the Facebook group, they'll post, you know, hey, I've got 12 months or 40 days or 24 hours. And I wanted to start reinforcing that on the show because I think it's something we should, you know, celebrate. And um, I kind of have these all over the place. So um, I'm just going to read. I did a post trying to get people to, uh, you know, put it there because if you've posted it elsewhere, I've forgotten about it. I haven't written it down. But I don't want you to think we're not, you know. The surest uh, way to get it on the show is to email one of us. Mike R. at MillageIsRecovery.com. So uh, on uh, on the Facebook group, we had Canella M uh, say that they have two years sober from alcohol on April 13th. And our boy Roland S. has six years sober April 1st from alcohol. Um, we also had a gentleman on, and I use the term loosely. <laughs> I'm sure I just he'll like appreciate that. that. I'm sorry. <laughs> How I do you know what? Do you I, know what this guy's? I absolutely don't. Um, and he just announced his name is Lambert, and he's been posting. He's got uh, four days ago, nineteen months today, on uh, four days ago, and he says such a good feeling. But I don't get me wrong, sobriety has its challenges. So, from me to you, stay connected. And as for me, every day is my first day, and every day I am grateful. So, thank you, Lambert. Thank you. And some words of wisdom. Take it from him. Reaching out and connecting is huge. And on the Discord, I'm going to read from the Soberversary. um, The Soberversaries. What do they call these? Threads? Yes. All right. All right. On April 4th, uh, Queen Elizabeth of Munster Haven announced that she had two years, two months, and two days. All right. And then Z Dadowitz says, Mazel Tov. Thank you. Um, let's see. Melissa said one, too. I see a lot of congratulations, Melissa. 90 days for Melissa K. from the Monsterverse. Hey, congratulations. congratulations. 90 days is a huge one. I know how hard it is. Uh, 90 days is a major, major milestone. And if I can find one more, I'd like to. And that would be great. 
<laughs> so there you so go. So much preparation went yes. into the show. I'm really so congratulations, everybody. Please share your soberversaries with us. Um, I had a great week. Did you have a great week? We saw each other. Not really. Um, <laughs> well, an exciting week. Yes. I mean, look, our kids were inducted into the Hall of Fame at... Is it yes, the, the National Junior Honor Society. Yeah, some of you, uh, I think we were talking to some of the monksters about, we were going to this uh, school event, the National Junior Honor Society, which it appears that the entire grade has been <laughs> yes. inducted. It's like 90 out of 105. Yeah, so we got a chance to... Uh, hang out at the high school and sit through one of these ceremonies. You know, they did it right. It was 20 minutes long, yeah. 25 minutes. Um, so they call everybody up to the stage to get their certificate, and then they make them stand on rows in front of the whole audience so nobody can take a picture of the kids behind them who are still getting their fucking certificates. It was so backwards ass yeah i thought i was getting a good seat you know and i see we're in the second row second row we we save all the seats i've got my coats over it i've been you know i put all the programs so no one else would sit there and then we realize that they line the kids up literally staring at their belts right. basically yeah and uh so i had to get up like one of those dads with the cameras in the aisle that was me me too, pictures. and I got I got shit pictures. My pictures were terrible yeah. too. Uh, so uh, congratulations to the uh, the Junior National Honor Society. It was kind of cool because um, you know Noah was actually you know he was inducted, he was invited along with whomever else. It has to do with your grade point average or something. And um, he's been working really hard. He was doing pretty poor, not poorly, but mm. uh, he's turned it around quite a bit. And so we were super proud of him. Like it was not a foregone conclusion that Noah would be on the principal's honor roll and all this stuff. He really right. struggled. And so I'm patting myself on the back a little bit, but mostly I'm really proud of him because I did not come down super hard on him. Like we were trying to navigate how to like parent a kid like Noah who's... Yeah. You know, he's a lot like me. Um, and, the, you know, at first there was a, lot, a reactive response, you know, a couple of years ago where it was more like a yelling and a fighting. Right. And then I was sort of like, just, you know, we discussed it with my wife, team parenting here. And so we decided to kind of back off and just take a different approach. And I'd like to think that it appears to have worked. Mm. It's more of a hands off, you know. And um, they're going to do what they want to do anyway. Well, right. So I just try and put it to him in a way that makes sense to him, like why this is important. And for a while it was, why do I need to know this? I'll never use this and yada, yada, yada. But what I finally imparted to him is this is a game. It does not mm -hmm. matter whether or not you want to know it or will use it or it's interesting to you. You're playing a game and you need to win because when you win, you're going to get what you actually want more likely later on. And now that he started doing that and trying to find his place, you mm -hmm. know, and just sort of grinning and bearing the things he doesn't like or, or you know, want to do, he's seeing the rewards because, oh, all of a sudden mom and dad are happy and everybody and my grandparents are so proud and mm -hmm. I'm not being, uh, you know, punished as much or I'm not losing, you know, access to this or that. And uh, he sees the benefits, I think. And it's been, you know, it's really interesting to see these kids start to mature a little bit. A little bit. In ways that I never thought. Um, it's, yeah. It's hard to motivate them. And uh, yes. soon, you know, I mean, Noah's kind of a late puberty kid. So is Ben. And I'm, I'm 
I'm like just ter- yeah. terrified by what's going to happen when all that kicks in, you know, <sighs> but nothing I can, nothing I can do about that. I mean, what, what did uh, Evan uh, Haynes call it? Um, relentless positive regard or something like, yeah. like you, like punitive measures don't work yeah. so well. You know, right but, but, on that unconditional love and support, right? Like no matter what, unconditional positive regard. I yeah. think that's it. Yeah, and I, it's hard, man. It's hard. Yeah, it's to very hard because these kids, um, especially Noah. Now I'm starting to sense that the testosterone is increasing. The anger, he's quicker to anger here yeah. and there. Like last night, he had almost a major like, I want to kill somebody. You'll just like punch people. He's like, yeah, I just want to punch. You know, can I punch this kid in the face? Like, and he's not like that. He's not a violent kid. Right. Well, when I finally talked him down, he said, Noah, you know, I just want you to be aware of something. You're at that age, you know, we talked about puberty, and you're going to start to feel these things inside. You're going to feel like you're getting more angry and more quickly. And I just want you to notice that the way you're feeling right now, that's not really, you know, it doesn't really comport with what's actually happening. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, he goes, oh, no, that's happening. I said, yeah, so just be mindful of mm. this rage you're feeling right now because it's not like you. Um, it's straight up like roid rage, you know. And it's just like he needs that cognitive, like, under- he has to understand it, I feel like, and internalize it. And then he kind of backs off and he's like, hmm. You should assign him uh, to watch a few seasons of The Incredible Hulk <laughs> from the from the seventies, that particular version with Lou Ferrigno. Yes, um, then it'll give him an idea of what the consequences are for unbridled rage. You yeah. know, you yeah. usually have to pick up and move to another town or something. And your clothes tear off, and yeah, it's, you turn green. It can get expensive. Yeah, yeah. you know, but he, he's and I hate it when he takes it out on his brother Max. Now we had Max just turned nine, and we had like a two week long celebration. Yes. You know, and so I'm starting to get a lot of that sibling, you know, jealousy from Noah. And, uh, you can tell that it's upsetting him. Meanwhile, he's got the built in forgetter. He doesn't remember how much we showered him with as a child. You know, you're at a different stage in your life, man. You know, the reason mom and I might be a little harder on you than him Mm -hmm. is because he's just turned nine Mm -hmm. and you're in the seventh grade. You're facing different challenges. And but still, he's got that that jealousy, you know, and it's starting to seethe, mm-hmm. you know. And we're showering the younger child, and he's the baby, and so that is so hard to navigate. Yes, know? and it doesn't really go away. I mean, I'm even now. Jack and Ben have a intense sibling rivalry uh, going on, and they're always at each other <clears throat> all the time. Ugh. But you know, I hate it. You can just try and manage it a little bit, but. Because I, I, it reminds me of my brother who was pretty abusive to me growing up, just like normal older brother yeah. type of yeah, abuse yeah. stuff. I say right. abusive, but uh, not um, the classical psychological. No, sense. dead legs yeah. and you know, right. relentless. You know, b- you know, making fun of me and stuff. Yeah, and um, you know, so I, I see Noah doing that to Max, and I get that reaction like that's me and yeah. that's my brother, and I've got to save Max. Mm. You know, and so I'm trying not to overdo that, but. I don't want him to be mean to Max. You know, it just breaks my heart because I love them both so much, you know. Yeah. I was reading an article recently on how that kind of thing is like, it's very normal and it's it's almost like a developmental thing that it's, um, it, it, it's almost a positive thing in mm. terms of how the younger sibling can develop a sort of a thicker skin and, yeah. and be able to handle some of the stuff that life is thrown out. I mean, obviously there's a, there's a line that you have to draw right. when it gets to be too much. And Jack 
crosses that line regularly and I have to kind of reel them in and <sighs> stuff. But I like can't help it or something. But I feel like yeah. I have to show that, you know, because I'm not um, very like an angry type of parent. I don't overreact and sometimes I underreact. So I try and choose my moments when I do angry daddy type stuff. Right. And, and I try and <laughs> snipe daddy. like the minute I see something that's, I think is about to develop into what could be somebody getting hurt or, mm-hmm. you know, it ticking off Noah to the point where he turns into the Hulk. I start to, I go angry daddy for like a second, mm. usually stops them. And I just, I'm almost like training animals, you know, like I should get one of those spray bottles, a spray bottle or like a cattle prod, like the second I start doing that. I think, I think though the general consensus is that you, you have a more effective training regimen if you throw treats at them. Ah, yes. Treats. Small treats. Treats, treats, treats. That's not a Pokemon card or like a (laughs) jelly bean or something. Yeah. But you know, so it's inevitable that when it's the birthday week or so for the younger child mm. but it, it was a really nice week i had my family over my brother we had a little family party the week before he had his crazy eight and nine-year-old friends over they kicked yeah. a hole in the deck and nice. broke a couple things you know <laughs> uh but it was a really nice time and max is really turning into a little mensch yes he's uh, a he's a great yeah, kid he's hilarious <laughs> so that was good so happy birthday to max happy birthday max and um i think do you have anything else exciting w- worth talking about here before we move on to our nothing we do here story of the day about. story um, of the day oh you mean okay i have a thing i want to read about that but first perfect. but first mm. uh let's take a break and we'll be right back after these words We're, we're back. back. The, the music that I just played during that interlude mm-hmm. was a song I wrote last week. It was. It was. I, I saw some of that discussion on the uh, the Discord about yes. a song. but uh, Follow me on SoundCloud. SoundCloud. No, I don't really. I write one song every four years because that's about my level of creativity for these things. At some point, I want to write songs again. <laughs> songs that I hate. I always, everything I make, I hate. Yeah, I'm like me one too. of those guys. I think it's just, I think that's just par for the course. Mm. So uh, welcome. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast where we explore the unique challenges and triumphs of getting sober later in life. In today's episode, <laughs> we'll be diving into a thought-provoking and often contentious issue. Mm. Is addiction a choice? We'll take a look at scientific studies and insights from addiction research to examine both sides of the argument. And we'll also discuss the implications of this debate for individuals seeking recovery in middle age. Let's get started. Yes. <laughs> Let's do you it. like that? Thank you, Mr. GPT. Yeah. <laughs> what does GPT stand for? I don't know. Get bent, Terry. Uh, the impetus for having this discussion was an article uh, that Maya Zalovitz, the yeah. great addiction uh, reporter, researcher. Author. Coke snorter with Jerry Garcia. Yeah, yeah, she's great. Um, posted in The Times this week, and I was going to make that recovering the news, but I think there's enough in there in that article that it bears expanding the discussion to sort of a show segment, like what we're about to do. Yes. Because really the focus of the article is, you know, is addiction a choice 
or is it not a choice? Mm. And there's a lot of debate and the implications for what happens with social policy um, are kind of big if you believe it's a choice versus a, a disease which sort of takes away your ability to choose not to use. Right, are you just a horrible person making dumb choices that are affecting all of us and putting everyone in danger, including yourself? Or right. is it like a disease where you're just kind of trying to manage this um, albatross that uh, is part of your life for no fault of your own? Or is it a little bit of each? Mm. It could be. I used to have one of these drunken driver programs that they make you take after you get a DWI. I ended up having to take that course uh, three times. And what I, long story, uh, and what she used to say, she was a really great uh, teacher of one of these classes. She used to say, genetics load the gun. Yes. And um, I guess you fire it or something. Behavior pulls the trigger. Right. Something like that. Or your your environment. Environment pulls the trigger. And she used to, she did this demonstration to explain it to us. She had a gun out. She took a gun. shot one of you. She, (laughs) she, She would have us stand up. And she'd have some of us stand against one wall <laughs> and some of us start in the middle of the room. Right. And she would say on the wall that you're standing at, that's like not addicted. Mm. The people standing slightly, you know, toward the middle, they have a genetic history of, of addiction and alcoholism. The wall over there that you're facing is, you know, substance use disorder. So she was basically saying that with a genetic predisposition, you're just closer to your environment forcing you in that direction. Yeah. That was their theory. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's, there are plenty of arguments about there that addiction is a choice, right? Mm. Um, and that you, you can control your behavior to some degree because people who do drugs tend not to do them in front of police officers, right? So mm. if, you, if you didn't have any control over delaying use or anything like that, in theory, you know, you would just do it wherever whenever in front of the cops which Pe- people do in certain areas certain areas when you get to a certain point people you know. also spend a lot of time planning how to get drugs and premeditation to, yes and how to c- commit devious crimes to obtain drugs so so there is the capacity right for some sort of control over the behavior yeah okay um you know so, so supporters of the argument for addiction as a choice often cite studies and research that's been done that shows that individuals with higher levels of self-control are less likely to develop substance use disorders. Willpower, would you call that? Willpower, Mm. yeah. I mean, um, for example, a study published in the journal Psychological Science in 2012 found that participants who exhibited better self-control as children were less likely to develop addiction problems later in life. You may know that as the marshmallow experiment. Ah, yes, with the children. Yes, and the, where they, they sit the kids down yeah, and they a put one. a marshmallow in front of them and they say, I'm going to leave the room and you can have this marshmallow. Or when I come back, if the marshmallow is still there, I will give you two marshmallows a half an hour from now. <laughs> and so they followed these kids for years. And the kids that just fucking shoved did the, the marshmallow know? right in their face. No. Uh, did, did the kids didn't know they'd be being followed oh, for years? Well, <laughs> like, like somebody like hiding behind a bush. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of, scary. I don't know the exact mechanisms mm. of the, of the study. So did they become addicts or what? Uh, the ones that could not defer the pleasure for a certain period of time were statistically more likely to have drug and alcohol abuse issues. Interesting. Um, and of course you brought up environmental factors. So, um, Genetics loading the gun, right? So exposure to substances, peer pressure, and socioeconomic conditions 
uh, can contribute to the decision to engage in addiction behaviors. Um, a study published in the American Journal of Public Health in 2016 found that living in neighborhoods with higher levels of drug availability was associated with an increased risk of substance use. So availability is also another factor, right? If it's easy to get drugs, right. you will. If it's not, you won't. So that cuts in favor of the choice argument. Right, like I never got into meth. And thank God, because we didn't have meth. But for me, that wasn't available. But can I honestly say that if the dealer I was going to for one thing or another was like, hey, you, I don't have any blow today, but I've got this crystal here, I would have taken it. And who knows what kind of mischief I would be up to. <laughs> you wouldn't be doing this podcast, probably. But it wasn't because I had some moral opposition to doing it. It was no. because I didn't have it in front of me. And thank God for that. Well, I mean, yes, but like for me, like I pulled a couple of geographics. One, when I got out of the Bronx and moved up to Buffalo for six months. And it definitely went a long way towards um, getting me off of crack. Because I was not in an environment where I could go get it every day. Right. Now, eventually I went out and found it, even in Buffalo, right? But uh, it wasn't easy and it was hard enough to get that it was a definite uh, impact on the choice that I made. Like when I'd go out drinking or whatever. And so um, it was much harder to find. So I just didn't do it as much. So... You know, was that my choice? Was that my personal responsibility? My agency? you know, at work there. Um, it's your environment, you know, and this is why I think there's, there's a good arg, you know, there's a lot of argument for, um, decriminalization, safe well, but, supply, and okay. that would make it more available. All right, Dr. Hart, but he, yes. right. Making it more available, not necessarily a good thing. Right. Oh, okay. We agree. Well, it, it's the thing is it's a gray area. It's like, what problem are you more willing to live with? You know, the crime in the underworld controlling adulterated drugs that create certain kinds of other problems? Or would we like the problem of, like we have with alcohol, which is it's regulated, it's taxed, you can get it almost anywhere. And it kills 100,000 people a year. Right, but it also takes away from the criminal stuff and makes it, brings it into the light a bit, you know, so I don't know. So maybe you're just making it easier for for governments and law enforcement, but harder on individuals who are going to become addicted. Yeah. So just transferring the pain from the social structure onto the individual addict. It is, but in a way it puts it in a spot where it's more controllable. It's not like, because once you get involved with a dealer, like if I used to get, you know, they put it on the arm, which means like they'd front you something. Right. And so I would get into a spot where they'd front me 300. I'd say, sure, next week. But the next week I had to get another three and I ended up owing six. Mm. And you get into a situation with dangerous people yes. who can do very bad things. Right. Um, which is different from, you know, having a monthly subscription to like, crack.com where they send you crack every month and it's $30 off your card. And then like, it's like a different kind They'd of problem. They have to problem. send you track, crack every 10 minutes. Yeah. But it, <laughs> you see, it's just a different, like, I don't know what's worse. I mean, we can't eliminate it completely. We can continue to educate people like we're doing with alcohol and saying like, yes, it's available. Yes, it's on television. But, you know, here's the facts about it. Now you've got the choice. It's really kind well, of more libertarian, I guess. Yeah. And it, 
and I, that, that appeals to me, like personal, personal choice and personal responsibility are appealing, you know, but I look at, at two con- seemingly contradictory statistics. On the one hand, in places where gambling has been legalized, the rate of problematic gambling has not really gone up that much. It's stayed relatively constant at 2 to 3% of people that gamble. Interesting. And on the other hand, you look at prohibition. When, uh, when alcohol was banned in this country, um, yes, it went underground. Yes, people suffered. Yes, people died of bathtub gin. But you also decreased drinking overall in this country by like 60%. Mm. So is it a matter of weighing desirable and, and undesirable outcomes to kind of determine which is worse? Well, is it really analogous when... Alcohol, yes, is dangerous and bathtub gin like makes you blind. But can you really compare what happens when a person drinks alcohol to what happens when a person is addicted to fentanyl or dies thinking they're doing cocaine when they're in high school or, you know, all of these other things? Do you know, can it really be like, is it really the same? Well, high schoolers are never going to be able to purchase drugs legally because they'll be restricted to people over 21. So they'll continue to be a black market for for kids under 21 or 21 year olds will go in and buy it from a store where it's regulated and then give it to them. Whatever's easier and cheaper. It's probably not buying it from the store. It's probably an underground supply. Right. I don't think that the need for illicit underground drugs will go away. I mean, look at what's happening with the, with cannabis. It's, it's the underground markets are thriving because the, because the regulated stuff is too expensive. Interesting. So, I mean, are you going to start instituting price controls on making the stuff cheaper? Mm. You know? Yeah. Because then you're just going to, I mean, I don't know. Anyway, that that's like a di- kind of a different argument almost. Um, I mean, what are, what are the arguments against addiction as a choice? Um, as know. a disease? Yeah. Well, I guess there's the disease model because research shows that, you know, you, you have changes in your brain structure and function in areas uh, like... Um, the uh, neurotransmitters, right? The dopamine, reward, motivation, memory, and self-control. And, um, you know, if addiction is a, a chronic brain disease like diabetes, well, diabetes is a regular disease, but uh, it emphasizes the role of long-term brain changes in the development and maintenance of addiction rather than personal choice. And then, of course, genetic predisposition that we already discussed, um, I think you know, it's then, le- then... I don't think it's a... This is going to be a little bit controversial. This is my current thinking on the disease model. I think, and I think many people agree with this who even study it, it definitely is not like a disease in the sense that there's some, you know, uh, something exactly genetic. They don't have... No, I agree with that 100%. I think for me, it seems to be, at least for me, it's more of a behavioral deficiency, more like impulse control. Yes. Well, or... That's what it is for me. A maladaptive... A maladaptive uh, response coping, coping mechanism. That yeah, makes exactly. more sense. And that's kind me. of where Maya Salovitz lands yeah. later on in the article, in, 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 which puts it a little, into a little bit of both. Because when you have addiction co-occurring with mental health disorders like depression, right. anxiety, I mean, it can make you more vulnerable to addictive behaviors, uh, which complicates the process of recovery. And so that would suggest that addiction is not simply a matter of choice because the areas of the brain that get fucked with you know, right. because if, it's like it increases pulling out wires. Sorry. Um, it's like in the beginning, you use the substance and then 
then your brain changes and then your biochemistry changes and then your neurotransmitter yeah. cha- changes and then all of a sudden you're 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 down the garden path and you're not where you started with so what started as like uh this is taking the pain away it feels good and then at the end it ends up just like it's just pain all the time right but your brain has rewired itself to the point where you know it's having it's having it can't like see the way it used to be right you get anhedonia i'll never forget how i started when i first got off of as much as i could and getting into recovery this malaise that i felt it's just like i remember my wife was driving me to pick up some medication i must have come from a doctor or something and i just remember looking out the window and just like staring at this blue sky the the wind was warm it was a beautiful day and i could I could see, like, I could see that this would have been a really beautiful feeling. Like, if I yeah. were normal, this would have felt good. Yeah. And uh, and it really, like, hit me. I'm like, wow, I don't feel anything right now. Yeah. And, uh, and it was just like, it, it really does. And then also, once you get sober, I used to think back. Like, I used to love to play chess. I used to love to do this. I used to love to do that. And I had absolutely no motivation. Mm-hmm. And and that can drive you back to using. Sure. Too. You're like, the closest I felt to that was when I was using. And then you right. go back. So you have to get through those periods. And somebody it, has to you know, tell you that if you stick long enough, if you if you stay sober long enough, eventually that stuff comes back. And it does. It really, And I could tell you that, like, all of my... You know, uh, hobbies, the things I love have mm. all come back all at once. And now I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> but for that first But wouldn't you rather months, be overwhelmed with that stuff? Yes. Yeah. Than trying to find your guy and like coming up with money and right. hiding from this one. It's, uh, it's fucking exhausting. Yeah. Um, there's obviously social implications for treating addiction as a choice rather than a disease. Mm-hmm. Right. Some can be positive, but others can be negative. Uh, and it's essential to consider the different perspectives in order to understand the broader impact on society. Well said. Did you know that? I didn't. (laughs) Chat GPT knows that. Thank you, Chad. Um, Okay. Number one, social implication, stigma and blame. Viewing addiction as a choice can perpetuate the stigma surrounding substance abuse disorders. And this may lead individuals with addiction being blamed for their condition as it implies they simply lack the willpower or self-control to stop using. I mean, I think that's definitely true yeah the will of have lost the will to become sober or what is it of um uh what was it addicted to alcohol i can't remember the first step uh and our lives had become unmanageable anyway um (laughs) yeah this idea of willpower they always would say in the program you know sometimes if i started to feel feel better and i started to feel like i could do this I would always get knocked down and be like, fuck oh, you, fuck you. You're taking your will back. Where'd that get you last time? Your best thinking got you here. And, um, they really want you to take your will out of it and, and give it up to God. Right. But yeah, willpower, you know, and some of these programs, like I think smart recovery and rational recovery. It's all about taking your will. It's back, all about, man. Hey man, take your will and do it. Yeah. And everything else in life is all about, Working harder and taking your will back. So why in this case? I mean, I think I understand why they tell you to do that. But in the end, you do need a strong will. When you base a treatment on faith healing, usually you have to turn your will over to a higher power. That's just the way it goes. But, you know, that's a... That's a Beat that horse another That's, time. Yes, that um, horse is glue. So one of the other so- social implications is if you say that uh, addiction is a choice, 
then why should the government spend perfectly good money providing access to treatment? Um, why should insurance companies cover it? Why should government agencies fund addiction treatment programs? Um, let's just put everybody in prison because they're making shitty choices. Well, why does the government have to pay for people who choose poverty? Or you know, you could do the same thing with yeah. with yeah. welfare. Be like, they could work harder. Well, poverty is not really a choice, is it? Well, that's the question. There's people on one side that say, oh, pull yourself up I'm by not your on bootstrap. That side. But I mean, this There's is There's huge systemic issues. Yeah, like with addiction. There are huge systemic issues that drive people into poverty, that drive people into addiction, the fail, the failure of our mental health system, the failure of our healthcare system in general in this country drives people into addiction because they have not learned how to deal with trauma. We don't have a trauma centered, trauma informed therapy. I think Mm. you should almost teach that shit in school. Like yeah. how to how to process and how to how to get through that kind of thing. And there's definitely been a renaissance of mental health uh, in our society. I've noticed. Uh, and I was talking to um, my partner, the psychologist, about. And you know, we have these discussions all the time about uh, you know these types of things. And it's almost it's almost like because of uh, the pandemic, more and more. And he was talking about the swimmer, the famous swimmer with eight gold medals. And he did a commercial that he was depressed and was selling like BetterHelp or something like that. Mark Spitz? No, the other guy. He's young. He's a big neck. He got caught smoking pot. The, poke, the pot smoker? Yeah. I forget his name. So he did a commercial and my, my partner said that um, since then... It's Michael become, Phelps. Yes, Michael Phelps. There you go. It's become more acceptable and he's seeing more and more people, you know, when he's doing his, the online therapy, he does intakes and things. He says he's seeing a lot more of this and there's less and less stigma about it. Mm. What I think is that's great and that's where we should be, but I always thought it would be cool, you know, we take our kids to a a pediatrician Mm -hmm. regularly since they're born. I think part of that should be a pediatric psychologist. Yes. You know, that you make visits to regularly, whether you are crazy or not. I think Well, you should normalize the idea that your mental health and your physical health are equally as important. Your brain is a physical part of you. Right. So why not, you know, from from the beginning, destigmatize mental health treatment by having kids exposed to it younger? That's yeah. a great idea. Yeah, and uh, like you know, we had uh, Noah was seeing a, a psychologist a bit. You know, he wasn't like in a horrific position where we, it was a desperate. We were kind of like, you know, I think this could really help him, and um, he could use some help adjusting to his uh, you know attention deficit disorder and you know dealing with school being. I think it was a good thing. It know? is. It, it's hard to get kids to buy into that if they th- if they're because one of the big things that adolescents are really obsessed with is this idea of appearing normal in front of their peers, yeah. right? So if there's any sort of like, you know, I, I ran into this problem with my older son who you know clearly could have benefited from therapy and some other interventions, but just wouldn't engage with it because he just was like, well, "You're telling me there's something wrong with me," and I'm like, "I'm not. Right. I'm telling you that there are." This person can help you work through some of the things that you're thinking about that maybe you can't work through on your own. You yeah. know, it's an it's a it's a a neutral third party. And sometimes it's helpful to bounce things off of a neutral third party. Now, were right? you open about that you've been to therapy and you I did the same thing and I feel like the generation before us was not like that. No. You know, so I was able to Wait, say, I think I am the generation before this. Are before you? you. <laughs> well, I'm thinking 60s. But, <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> um, but yeah, even your generation, 10 years uh, senior to me, um, you know, they wouldn't do what we're doing now, which is, you know, I'd say to my son, you know, Noah, I've been going to therapy for years. 
Um, I love it. It's a, it's all about finding the right person. It's a great, like, you know, so I can speak from experience and I'm not saying I'm fine. You're sick. You need this doctor and trying to kind of bring it to their level. But still, yeah. uh, the other thing that Noah used to complain about was I don't want to tell a stranger all my problems. Right. You know, so I had to push past that objection. We're like, paying the stranger yeah, to listen to your problems. <laughs> uh, you know, that guy didn't work out ultimately, but it was a good experience. You know, yeah, you got to shop around. For therapists, um, yeah. But anyway, so it's definitely more exciting. like my father would never in a Brazilian years. Yes, uh, but you know, in that generation, like all those hangups and weirdness that they have, they just dumped it on down yeah. through the generations. And we're and that, dealing with that's it. That's why we deal with it. That's why, you know, is it is it like a rock rolling downhill that picks up, you know, uh, stuff as it goes along, like a snowball effect almost? Because you know, people in that generation, the sixties, the fifties. It was rough. You know, and, and what about the, you know, you got Vietnam veterans and stuff oh and all of that stuff that's not worked on. Yeah. And eventually you end up, you know. Yeah, that suppression, making everything look fine, you know, for appearances. Right. It makes sense. You should do it somewhat. Yeah. You know, but it, it, it's not a good philosophy. And it's on both sides of the gender uh, divide, you know. Yeah. Men, you know, don't talk about uh, traumatic experiences and women women tend not to either. So it's it's really, it's crazy. But, yeah. Circling back to Maya Zalovitz, uh, we were just talking about, um, you know, how when you start using it's it's as a, a coping mechanism for trauma or what have you, because it, it actually alleviates your symptoms, but at the end, it's it turns into something totally different. She talks about her experience with cocaine, and mm. she says that, that, that the disconnect between the two is really profound, and in the beginning, she found it extremely euphoric. Uh, but towards the end of her addiction, she was injecting it dozens of times a day, Oof. desperately wanting the Coke, but also knowing it would make her feel hideous. So she talks about the incentive salience theory, which suggests that addiction is a problem of outsized wanting despite reduced liking, which becomes less amenable to cognitive control over time. Using against your will. Basically. Yeah. Like you, so that, that is a certain lack of ability to control there you know and and you know you couple that with the fact that during addiction people tend to prioritize like the short-term rewards of the drug over long-term gains which means that they'll always postpone the pain that they know is a part of quitting right yeah and they can you can put that off indefinitely you can rationalize that indefinitely yeah i used to that is called delay discounting Mm. which helps explain why people with chaotic childhoods and low incomes are at a higher risk because when a better future seems unlikely it is perfectly rationable, rationable, <laughs> rational a good word. to get whatever joy you can in the present moment. And that yeah. ties in with poverty also, because if you know people who are poor, like they are going for the thing right in front of them that they can get long-term planning, yeah. almost impossible. Right. Um, and this kind of distorted thinking is, is a, is a big problem. Um, well, yeah, but going back well, to, I mean, it's, it may well, not be, I'm sorry. Mm. I don't want to, people to think that I'm saying that poor people who think that way have a distorted thinking patterns. I think a lot of it is for survival mechanism, right? And that's what happens to our brain too. Speaking of survival mechanism, going back to rat park or whatever, where it changes your brain chemistry to the point that, you know, it puts using above eating, sleeping and cleaning. And I just wanted to uh, read from Maya Zalowitz's um, 
article because it kind of says it all. And, um, and it, I remember feeling that, you know, like she did. She says, when I was arrested and charged with possession with intent to sell cocaine in 1986, I was addicted to both coke and heroin. Although I was facing 15 years to life sentence, the first thing I did after my parents bailed me out and held a family meeting was to find and secretly inject some prescription opioids that I knew the police had confiscated. I knew that doing this further jeopardized my life prospects and my relationships with everyone I cared about. It made no sense, but I didn't believe that I could cope in any other way until I finally recognized that I needed treatment and began recovery in 1988. With the prospect of that lengthy sentence under New York State's draconian Rockefeller laws, I didn't think I had any real choice. Right. Why did I read that? Because I had that exact scenario, but not with the coke and heroin injecting. When I had a DWI, um, which is what kind of launched me into the last 10 years of hell and uh, recovery, um, I was in a pretty good spot. I had a great lawyer. Um, all I had to do was report to my probation officer, go to these, uh, treatment centers and not piss dirty. That was it. That was my only job. Show up to court in a suit and I would not have to go on probation for Mm. real. I would have a (laughs) violation and that would be it. And I could have moved on, but within, I think it was 10 months into it. I had a couple months to go. And on one of my last court appearances, I pissed dirty for no good reason, and I even drank the day we went to court. <laughs> so knowing sabotage. So knowing that I had this plum deal, I could have gotten out of a lot of this. I could not, and knowing it, it's not like it was a surprise to me. Mm-hmm. Maybe I thought in my attic mind, maybe they won't notice, maybe they won't test dirty, and I just was lying to myself, and it totally screwed me. It, uh, because of that, I lost my license for three years. Because of that, I was trapped in these uh, court-mandated outpatient places that were impossible to complete. And uh, who knows if, if I could have just <laughs> controlled myself or had some will. But I was exactly that same feeling. Well, because you were suffering from distorted thought process. I mean, yeah. um, I mean and that's... <laughs> The distorted thinking is more of an issue than the than the overwhelming desire to get drugs because you're not looking at your present, you're not looking at your future. Um, you have these un, you have this way of thinking about addiction that is completely false and, and unreliable. Yeah. Um, I mean, during addiction, like um, you think despairing thoughts about yourself in the future, and thoughts about negative consequences are minimized. Um, so, like, you overvalue drugs, right, as a way to mitigate mitigate your distress, and you undervalue everything else. Yeah. Right? All, all I could think about was getting it, if I can just, it doesn't matter, the yeah. consequences of stealing that right. money. So, or, so your, yeah. your brain is, like, prioritized and hierarchized using over the, over consequences. So, you, you're... You have an unstable balance in your brain, which always will tip towards getting high. And that's uh, that's an uh, the unreliable control theory. I think they call that, um, and it and it explains who is most likely to get addicted and what's most likely to generate recovery. Right, but it's interesting because the high risk factors, right, are things that were not really present in your situation. Right, like mm. poverty, traumatic childhood, mental illness. Those things gen- all generate like all the stress, and the, and then make you think negatively about yourself. But um. Were you, I mean, Maya Salovitz, for yeah. example, 
felt depressed and isolated because she was undiagnosed autism spectrum disorder, right? So she hated herself for her inability to connect. Mm -hmm. So that produced a mental climate, which was conducive to drugs, even when they no longer provided her any relief. But that wasn't your situation, right? Well, not exactly. So I went, I spent years in therapy, doctors, groups, as you know. And one of the main questions was because they always would assume something happened to you. Right. The fact that you're so self-destructive, you've done all these things against your better judgment or any judgment. There's got something must, your parents must have abused you. You're blocking something out. I had this one psychiatrist every week. He would say, we're going to get to the bottom of this. And I'd say, Doc, I promise I love my parents. They were great. You know, I don't know what to tell you. I'm not going to make something up. So what was ultimately determined was that I had bipolar disorder. Mm. Which Well, there you go. So existing underlying mental illness, right? That's, I mean. that's what they said. And so I was considered. And that actually, at first, I was horrified, you know, with that label. Oh, my God, I'm bipolar. And it turns out I'm not. But, you know, my brain at the time... Uh, post-acute withdrawal, I guess you could say, where your brain chemicals are really fucked up. So maybe I had a mild case or something. Yeah. At the time, what was keeping me from recovering is I had this bipolar, maybe bipolar 2 or something. And so what finally helped was I got on these medications for bipolar to even me out Mm -hmm. and an antidepressant. I was on so many pills for a while. And once I did that, I was able to stabilize my mental health, sort of, and then I was able to stay sober for longer. So, I mean, I can, I can appreciate that. And the good news was the longer I stayed sober, I was able to come off of those medications, watched by doctors, and to see, you know, I actually yeah. have healed from that. I don't take anything for it now. I mean, I would, but uh, if I needed to. But, yeah, I was struggling with depression, you know, undiagnosed, all of that. And I think that made it worse. And do you think a lot of that was was in your case like came from the drug use or was this something that pre-existed well yeah that's the ultimate that. question because when i started that seems significant right yeah well like when i started using drugs i was at boarding school right not okay. a poverty situation but i was at a boarding school and um whose choice was that to go there i was my choice 100 <laughs> okay. percent. Right. that's another story i'll tell you yeah. all about it but uh, i wanted to go away to school uh my brother had and i wanted to do what he did but um, so I made those choices to use drugs myself mm-hmm. because I felt isolated. I felt depressed. And when I started to, to use drugs, I had this feeling like I was, I, this is great. This is how I always wanted to feel. Yes. So I started it so long ago. There's almost no way to know if that was just teen angst or right. legit. Right. But it was a self-fulfilling pro- prophecy because as an adult, my brain had been so damaged that here I was. Yeah. Undiagnosed bipolar two or whatever. I can't remember if it was one or two or what the difference is, but um, it involved Depakote. That helped. Where do you think like something like ADHD fits in to this puzzle? Because I, I often wonder this with my, my older son, you know, in his period that he went through and he has a very hard time making connections with people. And I think like I have, he has to be very careful because even though he kind of stopped smoking all the pot and doing the drugs he did when he was, younger in high school, he really has a lot of trouble making connections with people. And, and, and I've been doing a lot of reading on ADHD and how, how ADHD is sort of very similar to, um, to sort of, um, 
the the um, the autism spectrum. Yeah. There's, there, it's very close in terms of chromosome activity there, and it it, it kind of makes me wonder, you know, what the relationship is with those two things because because Solovitz here was like. She was on the spectrum. She was undiagnosed. She couldn't make any human connections, and it was it led her to addiction. And I, I, I see and I worry about that with my son. And you know, you had any thoughts on that? Because uh, you got a little ADHD swimming around up there, and I, I'm wondering like how much, you know, how much of that is like related to the drug use. Well, you know? I'll drop a bomb on you. The first drug I really abused, not counting like the pot behind the high school, which was nothing, right? The first drug I really got addicted to and abused was Ritalin. Okay. So, so basically amphetamines. Think of it this way. <laughs> um, I got my friend's Ritalin pill. He said, oh, you got to try this. We could stay up. And when I first snorted that first line of the crushed up pill, I felt like I'd never felt before in a way that maybe was just treating my ADHD for a moment before yeah. I really began abusing it. But I was, why was I so attracted to a drug that treats attention deficit disorder. Why did I feel so good? And, you know, and um, well, I they say that people you know, who take that drug, if they have ADHD, it sort of levels them out. Yeah. Was that your experience? When I only took a little bit. And then when I was like this, I feel so good. I want to do 10 times as much. Okay. So I took it too far. But yeah, it's supposed it does. It focuses you. Um, I was eventually diagnosed with attention deficit disorder, but I was kind of manipulating this one psychiatrist a long time ago. But maybe I should have... <laughs> to get Ritalin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. way better like 15 okay. years ago. But um, maybe there's something there. I mean, I since then have been diagnosed as attention deficit disorder officially, but I don't, you know, um, and my son too. So I think where it comes from is the impulse control. Uh, ADD and ADHD also, for me, affects my impulse control. It comes out in impulsive shopping. If I see a commercial, and my son Noah has the same thing, and he was officially diagnosed. We haven't put him on medication, and right. I'm, I'm trying to see if he can learn to live with it and use it as a superpower. So, like, Amazon is a bad thing Horrible. For you. Yeah, it's bad. Horrifying. Not only that, downloading video games. Like, I can't stop myself. <laughs> the new Jedi Survivor game came out, and yeah. all I could think about until I bought it was Jedi Survivor. I played it for four hours with my son, and I'll probably never touch it again. That's really interesting. Yeah. So, I compulsive. I have to fight myself not to impulse. If I have money in my account, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if I have to pay a mortgage or what my wife will say when I'm in that moment, I got to buy it. That's a transfer. Yeah. A little bit of a, of an addiction transfer. And I have to fight that all the time. And now I'm yeah. seeing it in Noah. Yeah. So that definitely would come to drugs because you think about a drug, it's all you can think about. So basically modern society with its instant gratification by pressing buttons on the phone is probably the worst thing for the human psyche. And especially for people that have a predisposition to that. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree, but it doesn't mean we can't learn to live with it and become a better person in the face of it. Sure, you know. Well, just to sort of circle the square. Um, circle gets a square. <laughs> you know what that's from? Uh, Hollywood Squares. Yeah, yes. Paul Lind and uh, who's the other guy? I there? don't know. You don't. You remember their names? Yeah, of course. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> um, so okay, so she goes on to say that factors linked to recovery, like social support and employment, can offset this distorted thoughts that we have an inflated valuation of drug use. So basically people make better choices when you recognize and have access to better options. And then she, 
my favorite sentence in the article is, if you were locked in a room with an escape route unknown to you, hidden under the carpet, you were just as trapped as if that exit did not exist. So yeah. her recovery began when she saw that there was a bearable way out, which is why she says punitive, punitive approaches backfire. Because mm. causing more pain for people who view drugs as their only way to escape uh, and cope drives the desire to use even more. Which is why which harm is what reduction happened is, to you right. after 10 months of being locked down and having to pee in a cup. You were just like, fuck this shit. Yeah, my life was you know? seemingly like it was a nightmare. So... Um, that's so where she, harm reduction comes in, right? This is why she supports, you right. know, because um, going to abstinence for someone in, in the position we were in is horrifying. Yeah, so we're, it's a great article. You guys should read it. She basically lands on in the framework that you can you can have this concept called responsibility without blame. Uh, it's like people with addiction have agency, but it's compromised agency. Mm-hmm. So they can't fully make decisions on their own, you know? Um so, anyway, yeah. that's kind of where she where she lands on that. So, it's, so it's sort of like a, um, it's a behavioral yeah. impulse control, maladaptive, you know, coping mechanism. Right. It's all of that. I like to think of it as a constellation. It's a constellation. Uh, it's a constellation of issues: genetic predispositions, uh, nature, nurture, mental illness. Question is, how do we deal with it? How do we treat it? This is what I always come back to because. Great, we've identified what all the problems are, but are we offering a solution? And is the solution that's currently being mandated by our governments and society, is it doing more harm than good? These are the questions. Yes. What are the answers? I don't know. Um, And so I think having these discussions is going to help move forward some drug policies. I mean, it's been hard, but I feel like things have improved. You know, as far as harm reduction is a thing now, needle exchanges, yeah. we're talking about it more. Um, there was a really, I don't know if you remember when I talked about the John Mulaney stand-up show I went to, where we yeah. were surprised because it was basically like an N.A. share from Narcotics Anonymous, and nobody expected it. This just started, aired like a, a video of it on Netflix. I highly recommend watching it. It's really interesting. I, uh, I started it the other night, yeah. but I couldn't get through his joke about the school and the grandma and the school and stuff. I don't remember it. I have to watch it again. That was a long time ago. I just kind of, I, I got to sit with it a little longer. I just don't find him funny. I don't know. He just doesn't get, but. I wasn't ha-ha laughing at this one. It was more like I was fascinated. It was really like I felt like I was sitting at an NA meeting and it was a, you know, a funny speaker. All right. With I'll give it, I'm going to give it another shot because yeah, watch it through. Maybe we'll discuss you and it. Grant and everybody else seems to love this guy yeah. and I can't. Fucking I don't know if I love him, but it was, I thought it was good. I saw it live and I listened to a podcast with him on it. I downloaded it specifically to hear his story without hearing him do it as a do bit. Stick, yeah. And he, he can't wouldn't stop talking about other shit. So I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Yeah, he's an acquired Maybe taste. we can get him on the show. And, yeah, right. Uh, be, well, <laughs> why not? Who know, knows? Why not? We'll reach out. Anyone knows John Mulaney? Send yeah. him my way. All right. Uh, let's do... I'm going to stop because we were at an hour and 20. So we can save that other topic of forced addiction treatment for yeah. when we have Grant on the show, maybe, because I'm sure he has some things to say about that. Yes. As you guys know, on the Facebook uh, discussion group, Grant has been G Money Smooth, the editor at large of the RMA newsroom, has been posting his awesome articles from his website. Um, and a recent one that he posted was about forced treatment and 
it happening and what to do about it. So Grant has agreed to come on and give us an update on what he's up to with Shatterproof and all the uh, recovery stuff he's up to and talk about that article. So yeah, hopefully he's still willing to do it. I'm sure he will. Yes. But we're going to talk about something else on recovery in the news. Recovery in the news. No, that's not recovery in the news. That's not. What is that? I don't know what the fuck that is. That's recovery in the news. Yeah. All right. Recovery in the news. Recovery in the news. Recovery. Recovery in the news. Yeah. Yeah. People write me emails and they'll write motherfucker at the end of the email. <laughs> <laughs> Someone just did that. <laughs> it's my sign up. It's your, uh, yeah, it's your signature line. All right, I'll take it. Uh, Vice News, mm. who apparently is on the verge of bankruptcy. Oh, did no. Did you hear this? Yeah, I they may their... go away. No. Yeah. No. All the good things are being taken away. They need me to come in there and turn that company around. I mean, if you ask me, this is like. Uh, I like Vice News. The, the inevitable fallout of the elimination of net neutrality mm. a few years ago, but that's, that's that, that happened. Yeah. Um, so vice.com uh, had an article on it called the rise of gas station heroin. Mm. And here's a drug that I'm not familiar with. Although heroin? Grant apparently um, has posted, dropped a couple articles uh, on his uh, website. Mm. Um, Silver linings playbook. Dot com Sober Linings Soberliningsplaybook.com. The supplement Tyanapine, sold under brands like Zaza mm. and Tyana Red, mm. is causing excruciating withdrawals, leaving people broke and even suicidal. Now, when I got this article in my news feed, I thought they were going to be talking about Kratom, gas station heroin, right? Because mm. Kratom's... Well, finally, people are waking up to the fact that shit is like poison. <laughs> I'm now feeling horrible about it. Thank you. I see it all the time. And yet it's being marketed as like a recovery from exercise. Oh. Yeah. Really weird. So uh, it goes into the story of Kristen from Jacksonville, Florida, who um, started taking this these tanapine pills that she would buy like at 7-Eleven. She would wash them down with monster energy drinks. And uh, she would have withdrawal from it. Um it just <laughs> does it bind to the opioid receptors or something? Is it an actual like opioid or does it is it an opioid like symptoms that has a well? It's the drug is used as an antidepressant in other countries like Europe and Asia and Latin America. And it's not approved for any kind of medical use in the United States, but um, unregulated versions of this drug. Uh, and nobody seems to know what the true contents actually are. Uh, they sell them in convenience stores, gas stations, smoke shops, and, and online as natural supplements that boost mood and increase brain function. Sounds good to me. Um, they are given the name gas station heroin because they do indeed hit opioid receptors in the brain, mm. causing extreme addiction for some people. Um, of course, none of that's written on the, the wrapper. Uh, some... Offer a disclaimer that the vendors are not responsible for misuse and that only people 18 years or older can buy it. Um, but the, some of the marketing is like, use it in the morning to get yourself going and use it in the afternoon to help finish your day. <laughs> um, 
reads one online ad, we have found that repeated use of the ingredients somehow continues to work, improving and enhancing our daily experiences. But the daily experiences for many Tyanapine users is indistinguishable from traditional opioid addiction with withdrawal symptoms including nausea, chills, restless legs, agitation, insomnia, diarrhea, and an overwhelming sense of doom. Sounds like a great drug. Mike R. has died of dysentery. <laughs> that's a that's a holla back to uh, Oregon Trail. Oregon Trail. Sorry, folks. Uh, those with previous opioid addictions have said that the withdrawal that sets in is worse than being dope sick from heroin or fentanyl. Mm. So, um, yeah, one of them said, it's crazy to think that we did all that really hard shit together and it was something legal and over the counter that took us down. Mm-hmm. She's warned others looking at the pills and smoke shops not to ever try it. So, um, and I guess people get onto methadone to get away f- to get off it. Wow. Yeah. Um, this Seriously. Kristen person is near her maximum meth- methadone dose she can get. And while it's eased her cravings, it hasn't stopped them. Mainly, it just allows her to go longer between doses of tyanapine. What is tyana? Is it the drug called tyanapine or is it like a brand name for a mix of stuff? It is a tricyclic antidepressant that boosts the production of serotonin and dopamine, which impacts happiness, huh. and norepinephrine, which impacts the body's fight or flight response. Wow. That yeah. sounds like prescription something. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. At least gas But because so many of these products are proprietary blends uh, and, of course, unregulated as supplements, mm-hmm. uh, no one knows just how to counter their effects because no one but their manufacturers even knows for sure what's in them. So. Sounds similar to Kratom issues. Don't fucking take this stuff. Don't do it. Those of you who are looking to get off opioids and want some sort of a happy supplement stack, stay away from this shit because it's basically... Opium, or you know, I don't yeah. know why. I mean, there's a, a long history of these pseudo legal drugs. I don't know if you remember what was that drug where people were eating bath faces? salts. Uh, bath salts yes. was popular for a while, yes. and there's always there's always a, a market. Thank you, capitalism and science, just trying to find their way. Delta eight, delta ten, delta this, delta that. Designer drugs. Did you make a song out of it? And uh, just be mindful, folks. Just because something is legal, if we learn nothing else, over-the-counter does not mean safe. It just means somebody paid off the government to allow it to be sold. The problem is, you know, by the time that the regulators catch up to the problem, like so many people are dead and so many lives have been destroyed already, um, you know. But yeah, and they'll just change a couple of molecules and create a new drug, you know. Yeah, there's a pretty good uh, documentary about the, um, the, what is it called, when they do the, those chemists who are making all of those special, like, drugs that are legal because of a, it's huge in Europe. Um, it's a very, it's a whole industry. It's a billion-dollar industry where they have these scientists. The designer drug The things. designer yeah. drugs, and yeah. um, I don't know, what can we do? Are we going to completely, you know... I'm getting cold from work. Are we going to completely lock down everything over regulation um, or education? Maybe. Well, certainly we could, we should. The FDA should probably ban this shit, right? Yeah, yeah. That's FDA. All, that's but, all I'm saying. But the FDA is corrupt. Too. I mean, the, the, I'm watching. There's a picture of this woman, Kristen. She she swallows a bottle and a half of this shit every day. Twenty capsules first thing in the morning. And then waits for her withdrawal symptoms to ease in Jacksonville, Florida. That's no way to live, man. No. You know. And that's recovery in the news. And I think 
Have you I, got one? I think I would like to do something we haven't done in, in a while. Weak and weird. Uh, teenage girl credited with the first official Nessie sighting of 2023. <laughs> by Tim Banal. A teenage girl has been credited with 2023's first official sighting of the Loch Ness Monster after she spotted and subsequently photographed a puzzling series of humps that emerged <laughs> from the waters of the iconic Scottish location. The first potential on-site observation of the elusive creature in nearly six months, the long-awaited event reportedly occurred on April 5th as 13-year-old Francesca McGarvey was with her parents in a car driving around Loch Ness. Gazing out the window, she was stunned to see a dark shape emerge from the water, traveling north toward Urquhart Castle. Um, and that is all about Nessie. And you can learn about it on coasttocoastam.com and search for Nessie. Upon closer inspection, the teen recalled seeing humps. <laughs> I knew there was more. Uh, uh, resembling the back of a whale and estimated that the entire length of the anomalous animal to be about 20 feet in total. Amazingly, wow. amazingly, the unidentified creature remained above the surface of the water for approximately 30 seconds before vanishing. During that time, McGarvey managed to snap a photo of the suspected Nessie and alerted her parents to the wondrous sight. Although they quickly tried to pull over to get a better look at the creature, they were unable to find yes. a safe spot. Of to course. Stop. That said, is there a picture? There is. McGarvey's father did it. also catch a brief glimpse of the oddity. That's not the picture. No, let's see. Um, That's oh, like the. Here it is. And then we will post this on. Uh, Oh, that's... <laughs> oh, give me a fucking break. It's <laughs> an amazing picture. We will... Sounds like somebody was Wait. on smoking gas station heroin. No, that's definitely a Loch Ness Monster. Oh, yeah. And uh, so to see this picture, I'm going to send you this link. It'll be in the show notes. Weak and weird. I'm very weak. <sighs> weak and weird. Uh, Sorry. My fingers are on the wrong thing. On the wrong button. Well, that about does it for today, folks. I know I had a great time. Did you? I'm fucking exhausted. Thank you so much for listening. Visit us at middleagesrecovery.com, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, and Twitter. So, tweet us at twat. You twit. Subscribe. Your favorite show. Drop a five-star review. Join our private Facebook group. Buy a t-shirt or simply write <laughs> and say hello. They don't have any way to buy a t-shirt. We're working on something with SRO <laughs> Prince at middleagesrecovery.com okay. so hang in there. Join the Inner Sanctum at patreon.com slash recovery in the middle ages uh come to the facebook group we have a private group as uh, the monsters are supportive loving and want to talk to you and finally the uh, best way to help the show is to share it with a friend so if you get something out of this show please share the love to help grow the rma movement and as we say non proficiat perfectum progress not perfection see you next time stay fresh cheese bags be good bye